I love this time of year for many different reasons. But most of all, it's so amazing. Christmas is amazing in every way. And when I, when I think back of all the Christmases that I've enjoyed, growing up as a young child, there was that excitement and anticipation. And, and, and I loved having family come over. I loved the food. I, I loved seeing all the decorations. And, and that's why we, we decorate the church. We spent hours, and I want to say a special thank you to everyone who helped yesterday decorate the church. Didn't they do a wonderful job? Amen. But the decorations aren't just for beauty. Every decoration speaks to me. The trees are evergreens. And it speaks of the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. Many of our decorations are red. The red bulbs and red ribbons. And that speaks of the precious blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for our sin. That we might have that eternal life. Amen? And you can go on and on about so many of the Christmas decorations and there, there's a deeper meaning there. But today I want to ask you, why is Christmas so amazing? And is Christmas amazing to you? Because it should be. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. And let's look at verse 18. The Christmas story is contained in Scripture in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. That's where the Christmas story is found. Today I want to look at part of that story in Matthew. I want to look at verse 18 in chapter 1 and read through verse 25. Read along with me if you have your Bibles. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed, we would say today engaged, to Joseph. Before they came together, that speaks of the fact that they had not had physical relations. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That's important. She was found with child, but it wasn't by Joseph. It wasn't by any other man. It was by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. There that truth is brought forth again. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Does anybody love that name? Jesus is actually the, uh, a form of the Latin in English. And in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. And it's interesting because in, in Hebrew, the word or the name Yeshua means. God is salvation, or God brings salvation. And that's exactly who Jesus is. He's our salvation. The verse continues, for He will save His people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The prophet there is a reference to Isaiah. 
And then it starts the quote. Matthew's quoting from Isaiah. He says in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. I want you to pray with me today as we begin that the Lord would speak to you directly from this passage of Scripture. That He would bring greater insight and understanding and knowledge. And that when you leave this place today, you will have encountered Jesus in a genuine way. Amen? Lord, we just lift up this passage to You. Lord, many of us have been Christians for many, many years and we've read this passage. And Lord, I pray today that it wouldn't become, Lord, just another time to hear this verse. And we wouldn't say, Lord, I've read this, I understand it, I know it. But Lord, I pray it would be fresh in our hearts. It would be alive in this Advent season. Lord, that we would be amazed by Your Word today. And when we leave this place, we would rejoice that we have encountered the true and the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why is Christmas so amazing? And is Christmas truly amazing to you? It amazes me that Christmas affects the entire world. In fact, even our calendar is marked by Christmas. Before Christmas, it's B.C., before Christ. And many people think that the A.D. in in our historical calendar means after His death, but it doesn't mean after His death because there would be a gap of about 33 and a half years. But in the Latin, A.D., it's speaking and it means the year of our Lord. The year of our Lord. So I want you to take that in and grasp that. Anno Domini. That's what the word is in the Latin. And it means the year of the Lord. So in the middle of the calendar of mankind, the middle of our history of this world, of this planet, of humankind, we have right in the middle of that, we have Christmas separating history. That's amazing to me. Amen? That is genuinely amazing to me. It's amazing how that Christmas affects the entirety of the whole world. Think about an event that took, took place 2,000 years ago and to have it still affecting our world in such a powerful way. In fact, a friend of mine that was in Africa a couple of years ago said, Milt, I was amazed. I was shocked. And I said, why? He said, we were there during Christmas and we were in a Muslim community, in a Muslim town. And we met some people there and these Muslim 
this Muslim couple ask us over to their home to celebrate Christmas with them. And I said, well, were they born again? Did they know Jesus? And he said, no, they didn't. They were Muslim, but they were affected by Christmas. And he said, I walked into their home and there was this beautiful decorated Christmas tree. And they were celebrating and they were giving gifts. And they were doing a lot of the things that we do, even though they didn't have a born-again experience with Jesus. And he said, that was just so amazing to me to experience that, how that Christmas has invaded every culture in the world, and how that it affects everyone. And our focus is taking, taking off of selfish me, and you know who I'm talking about, Our human tendency is to be selfish. It's all about me. When I got married, Melinda said, everything we have is mine. She said, everything everything that mine is mine and everything that's yours is mine. And everything we'll acquire is mine. And being a good husband, I said, yes, dear. Our natural tendency is is to take care of ourselves. But at Christmas, it's amazing that around the world, even those who do not have a born-again experience with Jesus Christ, their focus is off of themselves and it is on giving. And it goes back to the fact of the greatest gift ever given when God gave His Son. Amen? Amen? But that astounded my friend. And it was amazing to him. Christmas is a time that is more than getting a good deal on a TV. It's more than getting into a fight in Walmart on Black Friday. Amen? It's a time of fellowship. It's a time when we come together and the whole world stops its selfishness. I want us to look at verse 22 and 23. Again, there in Matthew. So all this was done, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now what I want us to see is that this is a quote by Matthew of Isaiah. And we need to understand what was taking place in Israel at the time this word was given originally. It was given in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 10. What's taking place is here, Syria, another nation, has come against Israel. They have surrounded Israel. And Ahaz is king. Ahaz was an ungodly king. But Isaiah still comes to him and he comes with the word from the Lord for him. And basically he's saying, everything's going to be alright. You don't need to worry about it. But Ahaz didn't want to receive that word. And Isaiah says, well, ask God for a sign yourself. And he says, no, I don't want to do that. Why? Because Ahaz 
being an evil king, had made a backdoor deal with Assyria. And he was going to sell the Israeli people into slavery to this nation to save himself. And so Syria, another country besides Assyria, Syria had surrounded them, and he was concerned, he was worried. But I want us to, to listen to a part of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 7 of Isaiah verse 10. Listen to this. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Isaiah, saying, or Ahaz, excuse me, saying, again a sign for your, uh, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. He sounds really spiritual there, doesn't he? Well, I don't want to tempt God. I don't, I don't want to test God. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you, will you weary my God? Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. So it's in this word from the Lord to Ahaz, Isaiah is giving this is a sign. And so it, it, it causes us, well, why is that a sign to Ahaz? Why is that a sign to Judah or the house of David? Why is that a sign to them at that time? He was prophesying something that was going to happen 740 years into the future. The birth of Jesus. Isaiah didn't realize when that prophecy was going to take place. He was speaking what the Lord gave him. But he's telling Ahaz not to worry about it. And what I want us to see here is that Ahaz wasn't being spiritual. He had already made this backdoor deal. He didn't want to receive a word from the Lord because if he had received a word from the Lord, received a sign from the Lord, he would have been responsible to see that, to have faith and to see that word fulfilled. And he didn't want to do that. He was an ungodly man. When God gives you a word, you're responsible to trust Him for it. Amen? So he didn't want to receive that word. And so Isaiah just prophesied a sign for him. And it's a sign to every generation. And I want you to think about this. How is it a sign to Ahaz? What was Isaiah saying? He was saying, listen to this, he was saying, you don't have to worry about the enemy taking you out because God has promised a Messiah and the Messiah is going to come through the house of David, through the tribe of Judah. So God's not going to let you be wiped out. Are you with me? He's saying, the purpose and the plan God has for you has not been fulfilled, so you don't have to worry about the enemy taking you out. Hallelujah! Amen? And some of you need to hear that today for yourself. It's, it's still true for each one of us today. God has a plan for your life, and the enemy can't take you out. Because you're going to fulfill the awesome plan God has for your life. That's the way I look at, at the coronavirus. 
I'm not going to live in fear. Now, I try not to do stupid things. I try to sanitize my hands. I try to stay distance somewhat. It's hard because I love you and I want to hug you. But I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to live knowing that God still has a plan and purpose for my life and I'm not going to be taken out until God says, it's time for you to come home. And if I contracted the virus and I went home to be with Jesus, na 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 God says it's better to be with Him. Amen? God says that in His Word. He says it's far better to go to be with Jesus. He says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Amen? So I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that nothing's going to take me out of His hand. Listen to this, John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus is speaking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Everybody say, never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Amen. Does anybody believe that word from Jesus today? Amen. We're living life in the palm of his hand. And he declares, the enemy can't come and snatch you out of my hand. I love that. Church, we need to have that attitude in these last days. That's amazing, isn't it? Is that amazing? Now I want to get into something that's truly amazing. Christmas is amazing because God became human. That is being fought against today. There's an antichrist spirit that doesn't want us to believe that. That doesn't want us to receive that. That doesn't want us to live our lives knowing that truth. Verse 20 says, That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit in Matthew 1. Verse 23, They shall call His name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That is an amazing truth. Think about God in glory with all the splendor, with the angels there to do everything He asks immediately. Think about it, church. Think about it today. The angels are there. The glory of God. And yet He leaves the glory of God. He becomes a man. He becomes human. Church, nothing is more amazing than that, that God would want to become a man. So many people fight the deity of Christ today. So many people want to say, well, Jesus was just a good man. Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus was just like the other religious prophets. In fact, do you remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? It's also in Matthew's Gospel Chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man am. So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now let's just stop there. Who were people saying Jesus was in that time? John the Baptist was a preacher of social justice and righteousness. Righteousness. 
Did Jesus do that? Yes, He did. He believed in social justice. He believed in righteousness. He preached that. Some others said that he was Elijah. Elijah was what? He was known for the miraculous, for miracles that took place. Are you with me? Jesus was a miracle worker. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He had great compassion for the people that were caught up in their sin. Jesus wept as He sat on the hillside looking out over Jerusalem. He wept because they were rejecting Him. And then the prophets speak of those that delivered the Word of God. And we know that Jesus certainly delivered the Word of God. So Jesus, yes, He fulfilled and did the same thing all of these great men of God did. But He was more than that, church. He was divine. He came from heaven. He is the Christ. Verse 15 says, He said to them, But who do you say that I am? This is Jesus asking them again, personally, directly. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. That's the greatest question any of us will ever be asked. It's the greatest question that any of us will ever answer. Who is Christ to you today? Is He simply a good man? Is He an Old Testament prophet that bridged into the New Testament? What, what What do you think about Jesus? Who is He? Was He a good teacher? Was He a good person? There are some people today that don't even believe that Jesus existed. And there's more historical evidence for Jesus than many of the the great historical figures that we just automatically take for granted and assume, yes, they lived a life and this is what they did. There's more evidence for Jesus than many of those. And yet some people want to deny that Jesus ever existed. And then there is a greater number that want to deny that He is the Son of the living God. And I I want to declare right now, He has always been, He is right now, and He will always be God on the throne in control. I believe that Jesus is God. We call it the the, the Immaculate Conception. That's one of the terms that's used. And you think about, well, what does that really mean, Pastor? Well, what does Immaculate mean? Immaculate means... What? When you walk into a home and, or, and you say, wow, this place is immaculate. It means it's perfect. It's without spot. It's clean. And it's, and it's saying that Jesus' birth was without spot. It was clean. It was pure. Because He didn't have an earthly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's important for us to understand. Exodus, in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, we read where God says, You shall not bow down to them, talking about idols, or serve them. Then He says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate Me. And what what He means by hate Me there, he, He was talking to His people that knew Him. What he means there, he's saying, for those that disregard my word, you hate me. 
you're disregarding the word that I've given you. But what I want us to see in that verse is a powerful truth that God is holding us accountable. This isn't God saying, I want to get even with you. This is God saying, I have given you a precious gift in giving you children, in giving you the ability to procreate. And those children are precious to me. And I'm going to hold you accountable for how you raise them. And if you allow something in your life that is sin, that is contrary to my word, not only is it going to affect your life, but it's also going to affect your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. The people lived to be about 120 years old in this time. So it was very easy for them to see the third and the fourth generation grow up. And if there was something in their life that they didn't give to the Lord, that they didn't ask God to remove, something that was an idol in this context, it was an idol, it was ahead of God in in their relationship with God in their life, then God says, not only are you going to struggle with that, but your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And you say, Pastor, that doesn't sound like much Christmas joy to me. It's Christmas truth. Because Jesus came that the generational curses could be broken off of our lives. Amen? And if you're here today and you feel the Spirit of God quickening you and you feel like there's something in your life that you need to give to Jesus today to be free from it so that you don't pass that down, let me tell you, Jesus will set you free. And when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen? I could, I could go on about and on about that, but I'm not. I want us to come back The Creator became part of His creation. I want us to look at it a little differently. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, it says, You have made Him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned Him with glory and honor and set Him over the works of your hands. It's talking about man. Man is a a creature that's created by God just like the angels. But we're created a little lower than the angels. And I want you to think about this. God had to become part of His creation. He had to become man. Now, I've asked this a few times in the past, but I want to ask you again today. How many of you have pets that you just love? Okay, we've got quite a few. Pets that you love. Now, I want you to think about that pet. And how much you love that pet. But would you be willing, say your pet was a dog, would you be willing to become a dog and die for all the dogs? Now we laugh at that, don't we? But think about this. The gap between man and animal is far less than the gap between an eternal God and man. Christ became part of His creation. 
He became man. I love that. He became lower than the angels who He also created. In John chapter 1, verse 1, we read it all the time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then later in that same chapter, in verse 14, it tells us that the Word, it's referring to Jesus, we know that. And it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Church, that is amazing! Amen? There's no other religion that comes up with anything like that. And I don't like to include Christianity in with other religions because it's not a religion. It's, it, religion is man's attempt to, to get close to God, to make things right with the Lord. And church, we cannot do that. Christianity is God reaching down and doing something that man couldn't do so that we could be restored in our fellowship with Him. Amen? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, now listen to this, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Did you hear that? And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Why is it so important that we believe that Jesus is God and that He became a man? He was a fully man and fully God, 100%. Why? The Scripture tells us. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, if you don't believe that, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Why is it so important that we believe Jesus became human? Because if He didn't become human, He didn't really die for our sins. He had to become a human to pay for our sins. Why? Because sin entered this world through a human. Through Adam and Eve. Amen? He had to become one of us. And live a sinless life so that He could pay the price so that we could be redeemed. So the world attacks this idea of, of Jesus being fully God and fully man, but it's scriptural. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He Himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now I want to read it in another translation. Listen to this. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. That's amazing, church. <laughs> Amen? Jesus died and broke the power of death 
over our lives. We no longer fear death. We don't worry about the day that we take our last breath because immediately we'll be in the presence of the, God, of the true and the living God. Amen? I'm thankful for that. Amen. I want us to look at another verse in Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, In all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Grasp that. Jesus was suffering temptation while he was here on this earth as a man. He went through things just like you and I go through things. We're tempted. We struggle. We experience pain and heartache and people stab us in the back and they talk about us and things go, go on around us. We go through all those things. And church, you can never come to Jesus and say, God, you just don't know how bad it is. You don't know what I'm going through. Because he'll say, yes, I do. And he says, not only do I know what you're experiencing, what you're going through, but I've conquered death, hell, and the grave, and I am here to aid you in the midst of the sorrow and the struggle and the temptation and the pain and the things that you go through. Amen. Thank you, Lord. These two great truths are also found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah prophesied, For unto us a child is born. That's a human child being birthed. But listen to what he says immediately after that. Unto us a son is given. That's the Son of God being given. He's fully man. He is fully God. And He paid the price for our salvation. Is there anybody amazed at your salvation today? If you're not, stop and think about how bad you are. Some of you say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. The hardest people to lead to Jesus are those who strive to live a good moral life. Because they think, well, I've done more good than I've done bad, so I'm okay. But I, I'm going I'm to close with this thought today. The amazing salvation that Christmas accomplished. We should never grow complacent about the salvation gift that we've received. And I want to I give you just a few verses that talk about the simplicity of receiving Christ. And if you're here today and you're not sure where you stand with the Lord, by the end of this message, I pray that you would make that commitment to Him. There may be those watching online today and you're not sure. You think you're a Christian. You think you've got a relationship. But you're not sure where you stand with God. And you think, what do I need to do? What, what things do I have to, to go? Do I have to go to a certain place? Do I have to, do, do I have to travel to, to Jerusalem? Do I have to go there to the birthplace of Jesus? No.
Do I have to knock on a thousand doors? No. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think we need to share Jesus. But I want to give you some verses and I want you to write these down. And I don't want you to ever forget these verses because they're amazing verses that speak to our simple salvation. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means Pastor Milt's a sinner. That means you're a sinner. That means everyone that's ever lived in this world is a sinner except for Jesus. And you say, well, well, Pastor, I'm not that bad. Scripture says if we've broken one of the commandments, we're guilty of them all. I want to ask you, have you ever told a white lie? If you say no, you're lying right now. If you did nothing else, that alone makes you a sinner. So God's Word says that we do not reach His standards. The idea of sin is missing the mark. In center shot, Kim has a lot of students that come and they, they shoot bows and arrows and, and they try to hit the center of the target. And that's the idea of sin. It's missing the target. And it, it, it can mean just a little off, but it's not the center. It's not where God wants us to be. It's not where God calls us to be. The second verse I want to share with you is John chapter 16, verse 8. It teaches us that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So it's God working in us, letting us understand that we fall short, that we are convicted of sin, that we need a Savior. And not only does He convict us of sin, but what else does it say there? It says righteousness. In other words, the Holy Spirit works in us that we understand what is sin and what is righteousness. What's, what God wants us to do and what He doesn't want us to do. And He convicts us of the fact that there is a judgment that we're all going to stand before God one day. You say, Pastor, I don't like that. Yes, you will if you know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you're going to receive rewards. If you don't know Him, you're going to be eternally lost. But the Spirit of God convicts us. He works in us and shows us sin and righteousness and judgment. Then the third verse I want to give you is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse. Hallelujah! That's amazing! Amen? Why? It says all unrighteousness. He cleanses us. His blood is greater than all my sin. It doesn't matter if I've murdered somebody, I can still be saved. You say, Pastor, that's horrible. Yes, murder is horrible, but so is telling a white lie because it falls short of God's glory. We want to put sin in category. 
and say, well, this one's not too bad and this, this one's really bad. And God puts it all together and says, you've missed my mark. You're guilty. Jesus said that we're to repent. Some people don't like that word. How many don't, don't like that word? As a Christian, you should love that word. In Luke 13 and 3, Jesus said, I tell you uh, no, but, listen to this, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And that's key, church. It's not just coming and saying a little prayer, saying, Jesus, I want fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. So forgive me of my sins. And then just go on about your business, living however you want. That's not being born again. Born again has to do with repentance. It has to do with a genuine turnabout in your life. Where your mind and your actions and your attitude have been this direction, focused on this, and you turn away from that and focus your life on Jesus. Focus your life on God's purpose, on His plan. You commit your life to Him as Lord and Savior. And there's a huge difference between saying, I'd like to apply for a policy for fire insurance, and saying, Jesus, I surrender all to You. Amen? There's going to be some people that are going to be shocked because they're going to come before the Lord in judgment and they're not going to have received Him. They've just gone through the Christian motions and said the little Christianese prayer and they think, well, everything's okay now. But they never repented and turned from the world and turned from self, turned from sin and said, I'm going to live for Jesus. God, come into my life. Empower me with your spirit. I'm going to live for you. That's amazing. It doesn't matter how bad we were caught up in sin. It doesn't matter how many things we've done. How much is wrong. I, I, I've said it many times, but I used to work in the, in the prison in a Tarrant County, Texas, years ago, I was a guard in there, and, and I had Bible studies, and I had the lowest of the low, what we would consider. I mean, guys that had literally murdered people and thought nothing of it. And I had come to them, and I would shared Jesus, and those guys had tears in their eyes, and they cried, and they said, but God can't forgive me. And I gave them Scripture, and I told them, He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You just need to repent. And they did. And I believe I'm going to see those guys in heaven that made a genuine commitment to Him. The next verse I want to give you is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. We receive Jesus by faith. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Hallelujah. We receive it by faith. And finally, I want to leave you with this verse. You can know without a doubt that you're right with God every day. The Lord gives us an assurance. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. The Holy Spirit. 
in our lives gives us the assurance that we're living in the palm of His hand. That He's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And we continue, church, to have that repentant heart. Church, we still mess up. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. The Bible says to know to do good and to do it not, it's sin. How many of us share Jesus and witness enough? How many of us read the Bible enough? How many of us spend time in prayer enough? And the list goes on. And God says, I'm sorry, but that's sin. So we still keep that humble attitude. We have a repentant heart. We allow the Spirit to deal with us. And we, we say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me and just cleanse me afresh every day. Amen? And church, that is amazing. I want the worship team to come. This is just the first. For some of you, you say, well, pastor, I've, I've read that. I've studied that. I, I understand that. We're going we're gonna to go on. We're going to get into some greater truths and deeper things. Not greater truths, but deeper things that you may have never thought about. But church, I'm believing God for an amazing Christmas. I want you to have the most amazing Christmas that you've ever experienced in your life. I want this Christmas, and I know that for many people, Christmas is a difficult season because they've lost a, a, a loved one. I had a call this week. A, a pastor right here in our state had a heart attack and went to be with Jesus the day after Thanksgiving. But church, it, for Christians, that's a going home celebration. But for many of us, Christmas in the past wasn't joyous. It wasn't filled with all the things that God wants it to be filled with. But I'm believing for this Christmas to be the greatest Christmas. You say, well, what about COVID? What about it? God's greater than that. And COVID isn't going to rob me of my joy. Amen? COVID isn't going to stop me from celebrating the amazing gift that God has given. The amazing truth that God became man. That God died on the cross for our salvation. That God lived a sinful life as a man. He was tempted just like us. And now He aids us in whatever we're going through because He's been there. Church, let's have an amazing Christmas.